to Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Welcome to another episode of Midlife Moxie. I'm your co-host, Gail. And I'm Christina. Christina, I cannot wait because today we're going to get down to it, right? We are. I'm so excited. Me too, but first. But first, (laughs) a word from our affiliates who are helping make this show possible, but they're also giving you some great deals. Christina, I'm obsessed with shoes. How about you? Yes, I have too many pairs to wear them all. Like I would have less underwear to have more shoes. That's how bad it is. And thankfully, I have found a shoe company that has a female designer and she makes real shoes for real women, meaning that are both cute and comfortable. Can you stand it? Yes, that's what's that's what's up, right? That's what's that up. That is what is up. And these are not your grandma's orthopedic shoes. These are cute booties, some heels, but you get your choice of heel. You get your choice of toe. They have flats. They have sneakers. They have pointy toes, round toes, but guess what else? Inclusive sizing, 7 to 13 all Wow. Weeks. That's hard to find these days. So it gets even better. If you go to www.walkingcradles.com and also add on backslash Moxie, M-O-X-I-E, you're going to get a 20% discount on anything that they have there that is regular price. I mean, 20% off shoes, I'm down any day. How about you? Yes. Yes. 20% off. That's huge. That's such a deal. So that's www.walkingcradles.com backslash moxie. So you've got a deal for us too, right? Oh my gosh, I do, I do. Do you ever get like boob sweat or stanky oh smells gosh. in midlife? Like, oh what my gosh. Up with right? that? I have no idea, but we have just partnered with Love Boobalicious. So it is an all-natural and vegan hygiene um feminine products that are going to help all of our lady parts. And we are so excited. So that is love, L-U-V, boobalicious.com. And, you know, use the promo code MOXIE again, M-O-X-I-E, to get your set of boobalicious products. You know, I even got something for my husband from there. They have little special powders for men's private parts because my husband's a runner and he gets all sweaty down there. And he was so excited. <laughs> Make everyone feel happy. Well, let's get into it because we cannot wait for this conversation. So, Christina, who's her guest today? Oh my gosh, we have the amazing Kim Vopney today, and she has um, labeled herself the vagina coach. Can I just tell you, can I just tell you, I told all the women at the gym, I am talking to the vagina coach, and the men's ears popped up too. They were like, there's a coach for that? And I was like, yes, there is. So um, <laughs> so Kim is an author, a speaker, a pelvic health coach, and um, president of uh, Pelvine Wellness Incorporated. And so we have the amazing Kim. And so Kim, welcome to Midlife Moxie. Give us a little background and history of how you got labeled the vagina coach. And then we're going to dive into some really fun stuff today. I have some questions. Because she looks like a normal, just a normal, (laughs) she is Canadian. So maybe this is a thing up there. But for us girls, (laughs) for us girls in the deep South, I've never had a vagina coach. So I can't wait to hear how you become a vagina coach. Yeah, not yeah. Well, there are more people now who have vagina coaches, but it certainly you ask how it started. It wasn't like I had this lifelong dream of you know growing up thinking oh, I'm going to be a vagina coach. It was oh sure you did come that on. way. No, every little no. girl's dream. Every <laughs> it might be now in the future. You never know. But uh, it started because I saw a childbirth video in sex ed class in sixth grade, and I thought, oh my god, I'm never doing that. 
So that's where the seed was planted. And I just looked at what was happening and I thought, no, not, not for me. But I went home and looked at my mom differently. And I looked at my aunts and my grandmas and all the women in my life. And I thought, well, they did it. And they're still here walking around and doing all the things. Um, but I saw my mom stop doing some things. So I saw my mom stop running and I saw my mom struggle with back pain and she had surgery for incontinence. And so it, as she was approaching menopause and you know moving through that, I saw that it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that went away. Uh, it was something that she kind of, looking back now, know that she sort of ignored certain symptoms here and there and waited till you know it was just I, I can't do anything else but surgery now. And mm. so that's where it started. I used a biofeedback device made in Germany that helps prepare the pelvic floor for childbirth. And I after I used it, I had a great experience, and I certainly credit midwives and the position that I was in for birthing. And I, you know, it wasn't just that, but I thought, how is it that not everybody knows about this product? And so I contacted the company and I said, hey, could I sell these in Canada? And they said, yes, you can. And that's, again, it wasn't supposed to be a business. It was just going to be this little, you know, like a little side thing. And it was for a few years. And then in 2009, I was laid off from my corporate job. I had worked in fitness for a number of years and then went into human resources. And I was laid off with the financial downturn of 2009. And so I said, okay, let me see if I can turn this into a business. And I started a website and started networking with people. And at the time, all we had really was Twitter. Uh, We didn't have, we had Facebook for personal stuff. We didn't have Instagram or all, you know, YouTube, all the other stuff we have now. So it's Twitter. And that's kind of how it started. And I had an e-commerce store for a bunch of pelvic health products. And then I started a second business with two other women called Bellies Inc. And we manufactured a postpartum recovery garment. And we also created certification courses. But then what was happening is, as we were sort of moving beyond that new mom stage and going through perimenopause and Mm. menopause and, you know, one of us had surgical menopause. And so we were, we were moving into different phases of life and we recognized that while we started in, you know, working with pregnant women, we recognized that the conversation of pelvic health is not just in pregnancy or not just after giving birth. It, it's all life stages. You don't even have to have been pregnant or give birth to have some of the more common challenges and midlife is a time where if they have not shown up, they'll usually start to show up or if they have kind of been like negative. <laughs> or they may appear the with way, a vengeance. Yeah, <laughs> and they're going to scream at you really, really loud when you when you get to midlife. Okay, yeah. just in case there's people listening who have not spent a lot of time on this subject, maybe they're not quite to menopause or just haven't had access to information. What do we consider the pelvic floor? What does that entail? What does that term actually mean? Yeah. Good question and always the best place to start. It's starting to get a lot more press now. So the pelvic floor is finally getting talked about in media, in magazines for so long. taking its rightful place. Yeah. It was like, it was taboo. You can't say the word vagina. You always have to whisper it. And But it's changing now, finally, which is fantastic. There still is definitely some shame and embarrassment for some people around it, but the term pelvic floor is more accessible and, you know, we're, we're not naming a, a body part that people are considering inappropriate. So pelvic floor is a group of muscles, three layers of muscles, and there's actually 13 to 15 different muscles, depending on how you name them. And the, they're, they close off our, our pelvis and they have incredibly important jobs. One is closing opening. So we want to make sure that pee poo fart doesn't come out of us unless we want it to. <laughs> pelvic floor is responsible for that. Pee poo fart. Really? And we also have organs. So bladder, uterus, rectum. We want those organs to be supported in their proper anatomical position. So the pelvic floor plays a role in that. We'd like them to stay inside, right? We would like them to stay inside in their proper place. Yep. Uh, Sexual response. So pelvic floor, our pelvic floor muscles play a role in, do we experience pleasure? Can we accommodate something coming inside of us, like a finger, a toy, or a penis? Uh, Can we facilitate childbirth? So can we allow the muscles to relax enough that birth can happen if you choose to be pregnant at some point in your life. Uh, and also our just, core stability. Just not midlife. Not, not midlife. Not midlife. No, please no. not now. Please not now. <laughs> I do have an aunt who gave birth in her 50s. So Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Christine, I'm anyway. loving that we're not even 10 minutes in and we've got <laughs> vagina, wow. penis, fart, yeah. 
<laughs> pee and poo in the finger universe. finger this, and toys too you yeah, forgot that toys. I, I was i was very keened in on that wow I'll this say. is our kind of coach our kind of guest kim i have to tell you something. you know you said something about us talking about public public floor and it mm. reminded me of a conversation i had last christmas when my family was all around and my father loves to talk about his hemorrhoids and his prostate and my brother joined in, got in on the hernia train. And I thought, if I have to hear one more word about their genitalia, I'm going to lose my mind. So I finally announced, enough. Enough. If y'all say one more word, I'm going to start talking about my vagina. So just brace yourselves. And you would have thought I said I was going to, you know, say bad things about someone's mother. I mean, the shock yeah. in the room. But it was okay to talk about prostate. It was okay to talk about their yeah. hernia. They're hemorrhoids, yeah. but heaven forbid we talk about our vagina. That is, yeah. is that just, that's just been the, the way it's been, right? A thousand percent. It's so frustrating. And male, men do, so male anatomy have a pelvic floor. They have a pelvis, they have a pelvic floor, they have muscles like we do. Obviously they don't have a vagina. They don't have a uterus. They don't, they can't experience some of the things that we do. Because They've not been worked over anymore. like us. Let's just say that. <laughs> no, we, we definitely are, are at increased risk, but they have challenges. They can have they're, they can have uh, types of prolapse that we can also have too, but uh, we have more, we have more variety in our prolapse experience. But yes, you're right. Like it, it, it is, there's a double standard where it took me an incredibly, it took years to have the term vagina coach on Facebook approved. And actually it still isn't vagina, it's vag coach because vagina is an inappropriate word, but all the other advertising around Viagra or erectile dysfunction, all of that is okay. But so interesting not, how, not how we live it, in that. So frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've come so far, mm-hmm. right? We'll as a, as a, times. Vagina, 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 vagina. We well, we've come so far, you know, in society and culture. And it's just so interesting that we're still in this kind of archaic um, mm-hmm. place with talking about our pelvic floor. And I have seen on, on Instagram, there's a, a fitness lady and she talks about the pelvic floor all the time. And she's always talking about it. I'm like, what is this about? Like, I didn't even know what this is about. So, you know, what, how, Christina, like, you know, that that's a thing because you usually don't know until you have a problem. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So you start so hearing that referred to in the medical record. Well, the pelvic floor has collapsed. Right. So but what she do we said do? another word, prolapse. Did you know what prolapse was? No, not Talk until, yeah, not until, you know, you, you talk to your girlfriends and they've gone to the doctor and people are telling them, hey, your stuff is hanging out. Well, what does that mean? What's or that about? In the wrong place. And you're like, <laughs> that can happen. Because yes, exactly. I've told this story so before. Yeah. So when I was 40, are... I went to the doctor for a physical and I was just mentioning my tinkling. And she said, with all the seriousness of the world, have you noticed anything hanging out? I tell this story all the time because I think it's important that we let women know that's a possibility before someone's asking them if it has happened. So yeah. Kim, talk to us about prolapses, what causes them, how can they be avoided, when should we be concerned most women probably don't even know that word until they get to yeah. to midlife prolapse. Yeah, yeah. What about it? And you bring up such a, such a great point. And I often say that the pelvic floor is something you don't think about. You don't know anything about it because it just works. It always has been. It's it's doing its jobs without us thinking about it. And it's not until something goes a little bit off that we start to, it's the only thing we think about because it's so central to so many things that we do. And so prolapse is where the bladder, the uterus, and or the rectum start to shift out of their optimal anatomical position. And in the case of the bladder, it can bulge into the front wall of the vagina. In the case of the rectum, it can bulge into the back wall of the vagina. And in the case of the uterus, it can descend from the top down into the vagina. And so that creates bulges. It it, it creates symptoms associated with uh, constipation, incomplete emptying, sometimes discomfort with sex. Uh, If people are still, you know, so as we approach or we're in perimenopause, approaching menopause, we may still have a menstrual cycle. So difficulty inserting tampons where they get pushed out. 
Um, people may see or feel a bulge right at the entrance to the vagina. So that's a little bit more of an advanced stage. And the challenge with prolapse is it can be asymptomatic in early stages. And so people Because most no of us aren't checking. Then, yeah. Like, or I'm, it, I'm not looking around down there for... No, nobody's, <laughs> we don't even know that this was something to look for, right? And no one told me I should be. So, so no. and then so once you, once some days, like some, somebody says, you know, I just went to wipe and all of a sudden I felt something and you look and, and people think they have tumors sometimes. It's very scary, right? They, they're thinking, what sure. the heck is this? Um, sometimes people will, again, have no symptoms. And then it's like, you know, I just picked up my child or I, uh, had one client who she said, I just lifted, I was helping my husband lift, lift our mattress off the bed frame. And I felt this pop. And it's odd that that's the sound that people say because pop pelvic organ mm. pro- prolapse, it's the same acronym. So it's, I and it's devastating. It's pop. devastating. Yeah. It's, so, it's mentally incredibly challenging for people well, to deal with a prolapse you, diagnosis. You don't just call up your girlfriend and say, I think my, you know, uterus just fell out my vagina and you certainly don't Google it. Cause that's what no. I'm always afraid of. Anything involving lady parts, I'm afraid to Google because I'm afraid of what I'm going to get. Do you feel that way, Christine? Yeah, yeah I, I do. And I want to know, you know, when you're talking about prolapse, when you're talking about the pelvic floor, if we strengthen the pelvic floor, will that help with the prolapse that tends to occur? Because, you know, you started with the story when we opened about watching your mom you know, all her life seemed to be active and then she hits midlife and it's like these things start to be not as important or other things took priority in that season of her life. And you were like, wait a minute, I need to do something here. So, so what, number one, who's the prime candidate for pelvic floor work and what does that look like? When should we start and does it help with prolapse? Yeah. So Pelvic floor exercise, well, first back up in terms of if you feel like anybody, in my opinion, if you have a vagina, go see a pelvic floor physio. That's the first first line of defense, and they can help understand if you have prolapse or, okay. or not. Physio, what is, is that short for? Physiotherapist? Physiotherapist. In the United States, it's called physical therapy, so it's the same profession, but just physiotherapy oh, versus wait. physical Oh, wait. Are therapy. these the people that will put electrodes on your hoo-ha? Because I was offered that one time and I declined. Well, that could be one form of treatment. It's not the, it it wouldn't be the standard treatment for everybody, I would say. Um, But pelvic floor physical therapists will help you understand how to do pelvic floor exercise. So you ask the question about exercise and yes, it's a group of muscles. And just like muscles in the rest of our body, they benefit from movement. They benefit from lengthening exercises. They benefit from strengthening exercises. But we, if you've heard anything about pelvic floor, it's do Kegel exercises, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. people's interpretation of a Kegel is a squeeze. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are then squeezing their inner thighs, or they might be squeezing their butt muscles, or they might sometimes even be bearing down, holding their breath and bearing down, thinking they're doing a Kegel, and it's not their fault because nobody's told them how to do it. It's it, They might have gone to Google or they might have been given a pamphlet from their doctor about what a Kegel exercise. And then they'll see things like stopping the flow of urine. So then they'll, they'll practice sometimes on the toilet, which is not ideal either. And so a lot of people are are not gaining the benefits of pelvic true pelvic floor fitness because the foundational exercise of a, of a Kegel is not there. And it's not just Kegels. We, we, they play a role for sure, but... It's, it's a whole body approach. We need the pelvic floor to be trained dynamically in movement. And then, yes, when we have strong, resilient muscles that also can, that aren't stuck, like aren't holding on to tension, we have muscles that aren't too lax where we kind of have that Goldilocks, you know, they have good suppleness, but also good strength and endurance, then they can manage organ support. They can manage closing the openings. They can manage laughs, coughs, sneeze, jumps, lifts, all those other things that we do. But if we have, a, if the muscles aren't working, like if they don't react in time or if they aren't working strongly enough, or if we have tissue damage, so childbirth is a really good example of where we can have tissue damage. Boy, sometimes there's some with tissue prolapse, damage. 
Well, and is that is that for women who've given birth vaginally and cesarean, or is that just people who gave birth vaginally? So with a, a vaginal childbirth definitely increases your risk, but cesarean birth does not make you immune to prolapse or incontinence or anything. So a know. lot of people say, well, I had a cesarean, so so I'm fine. My pelvic floor is fine. But we still, you know, there's the same weight on the pelvic floor, the same biomechanical changes that have happened, the same hormonal changes that have happened. Some people have pushed for a while and then had a cesarean. So just because the baby hasn't come out through your vagina doesn't mean that you are 100% immune. Vaginal childbirth definitely increases the risk. And if you have any internal tearing or external, especially if you had third or fourth degree tearing, that significantly increases your risk of prolapse. But nobody is screening for it and talking about it and telling people and then they get their six-week green light and they go back to regular. And then it's something that, you know, prolapse can take years and years to develop. And again, once we have the changes at midlife, now, especially from a hormone perspective, we're really lacking some resiliency in the tissue and things will often exacerbate. Well, you were talking about weight and um, and that can cause some some stuff going on too. And then I wanted to ask you, because you were talking about exercises, we were talking about exercises and exercising the vagina too, right? Just like getting, getting things going there. There is a lady on YouTube that has a, I don't know if you've seen this, Kim, I have yet to see this, but everybody at the gym was like, you've got to watch this lady that has a weight. (laughs) Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. So I'm like, she's lifting a weight with her vagina. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's vaginal, there's, there's, there's vaginal weights. Kegel weights, um, and there are now, some. Are these so like those balls that people? Yeah, hold some of them inside? are balls. Some of them are shaped it, like balls. Some of them are shaped like teardrops. There's different sizes. And the shapes yoni ball, weights. right? The yoni is that what it is, or something like that? Yeah, okay, wait, 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 wait. We got to go slow because I'm sure some <laughs> listeners out there almost wrecked their cars. I okay. So there so are intrigued. weighted objects in the shape yes. of round balls or teardrops that yes. you basically insert inside the vagina and the goal was to hold them in. Yes. I Correct. might not try that in public. My first few <laughs> efforts. It just, I'm not well, the person, sure. The, the, there is a person actually from Vancouver where I am, who also is named Kim, uh, Kim Anami, who is famous for, she will put a, a weighted egg in, uh, and it, it's attached to something else. So she's got photos of her holding on to a surfboard, to a chandelier, to like all sorts of crazy things. And um, yeah, so then, but the, the, the challenge I have with that, I'm all about using weights for some people, not everybody, but for some people, they could benefit from vaginal weight training. However, it that when you're, you, you don't need, like the impression is that, oh, well, I must be, have a weak pelvic floor if I can't hold a chandelier or a surfboard. I can't even hold the <laughs> I'm weight I'm just trying itself. to hold my tinkle, Kim. Just trying to hold my tinkle. <laughs> well, I'm not hold a chandelier. My husband will I'm, not be impressed with the chandelier, but. I'm, I'm thinking I need to do some more weight training in, in other areas. <laughs> you love well, weight training, Christina. So here you go. So weight training in, in and around. So squats bridges, building up a strong backside, your booty, that helps your pelvic floor as well. So it's, it's surrounding musculature as well. The vaginal weights are suitable for some, but again, we want to look at the person. So if you, if you see a physical therapist, they can say, you need to work more on the lift, or you need to work more on the closure, the squeeze, or you need to work more on the letting go. And actually a lot of people need to work more on the letting go first. And so if you, if you are one of those people who has tension in their pelvic floor and you can leak and you can have prolapse, if you have tension, a lot of people think, well, if I have a tight pelvic floor, then I must be okay. But tightness Mm. doesn't equal strength. And what would cause you to have a tight pelvic floor? Uh, Pain, trauma, posture, injury, falls on the tailbone, surgery, like all sorts of things can contribute. And, and so if somebody has tension and if they were to put a weight in, 
and they're now having to hold on to this weight, they're adding more tension. So tension, yeah. they're not focusing on the aspect that they uh, really need to, so to get that. What I'm hearing you say is that this does need to be diagnosed by a professional of which type, just don't assume if you're tinkling on yourself or your tampon may not be staying in as well as it used to, if you're still wearing those, that it's one problem you really need to be diagnosed. Yeah. And most people will typically go to their family physician first, to their GP. And I have nothing against the medical. We need medical providers on our healthcare team. But in my opinion, physical therapists, our pelvic floor physical therapists are our best first line of defense. And they can then screen and decide if it's something medical and then refer on. But unfortunately, right now, the reverse doesn't happen quite as much. So not as many medical providers see the value of pelvic floor physical therapy. I hear every day from people saying, I asked to see a physiotherapist or a physical therapist, and my doctor said it won't help. My doctor didn't give me a referral because he doesn't think that I need it or what have you. said a key word there, he. (laughs) I do try to deal with female gynecologists, and I have been referred, and I do... And I think this is important because I think as we move into midlife, even with our choice of a medical professional, I love the idea, like we had a a lady on recently and she's a gynecologist, but she is not delivering babies. And it's not that she's gotten old and decided not to deliver babies, as a lot of physicians do. She truly cares about women's health, female health. Plus she's just a big old feminist. And I'm not saying I'm a big old feminist, but give me a big old feminist as my gynecologist because I know she's looking out for me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes yeah. I think when we leave those baby birthing years, we may need to transition to a different kind of medical provider, one whose focus is on female health, whereas a lot of the practices, no shame in their game, but they are primarily for those baby birthing years and prior to that when women are seeking birth control and maybe not as, let me ask you, perhaps maybe not as time and attention is given to that menopausal woman or the health issues. Is that fair to say? Uh, Yeah, I think in general, and I know that it's slightly different around the world with different, with different medical systems, but in general, we have a very, here in Canada, we have seven, eight, maybe nine minutes with, uh, with our family doctor. And we are allowed to go in and talk about one thing. And during that time, they, they're tasked with ruling out, you know, kind of like major red flags and referring on. There's not a lot of education or time or, um, health history, you know, all that sort of stuff that can be taken during that, that time. So they're, they're limited physio, physical therapists, physiotherapists have, that you'll have an hour session with them and you'll walk away with an incredible awareness of your, your body. So that it's not, I'm not, I don't want to put the blame on the doctor. It's also the system, the way that it's sure. set up. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, a lot of them to me, there is something magical about talking to a woman who has birthed the baby or who is peeing mm-hmm. down her own leg. You, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. just fully aware that he does not have my experience. And yeah. for me, I've just felt better with some of the women I've dealt with, I felt like they listened more rather than being like, Oh geez. Yeah. Um, There are, I mean, there's many, there's a lot of male doctors who are fantastic and totally Mm -hmm. and totally support women. A hundred percent. The doctor who I had pelvic surgery, my, it was a male doctor. I adore him. He gets it. He's very kind, caring, compassionate. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's completely the norm. Um, but there's also, it can be the same. There are some female doctors that also are, are, not as supportive either, which kind of blows my mind, but, um, that is mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have to find the right provider for you. What kind of practice do you call to find a pelvic physiotherapist? Do you call a physical therapy group? Do you call, do you call your gynecologist and ask, where do you find? Yeah, so again, it depends on where you are in the world. And so in, Canada and in some parts of the United States, it is, you can call and make an appointment without a referral. And if your healthcare insurance requires a referral, then yes, you would need to go to your doctor first to get that referral. But in many cases, you don't need that. Uh, All you need to do is call them up and make an appointment. And so you would find that by, you can go to Google and put pelvic floor physical therapy and 
you know, whatever city you're in, you could go to the American Physical Therapy Association, you can go to the Canadian Physical Therapy Association, you can go to pelvicguru.com, which is a fairly global site that has a directory for medical providers, fitness professionals, physiotherapists, uh, physical therapists who specialize in the pelvic floor. So those are, that's how you can start. And if, again, if you do need the referral, then yes, you will have to go to your GP first to get that. But so often than not, you can just call and make your own, make your own That's so awesome. So Kim, Kim, tell me this, you know, does it, when you're, when you're building that pelvic floor, when you're, I I like to say, you know, when you're restoring it, (laughs) is that the proper word? Restoring it. Um, Will this help your sex life? You know, because yeah. as you head into midlife, some things get a little, you know, they get a little different. And so will this help with the the midlife woman who is, you know, kind of struggling in this area? Will it help the sex life? And if so, like, what are or the best- Or will the sex things? life help the problem? I was wondering about that. Is sex yeah. considered oh. an exercise for your pelvic floor? Yeah. thousand percent. Yeah. So at midlife, we can have lack of libido, which is, that can be a lot of different things. Um, hormones are one piece of that. And also vaginal dryness also hormone related. So I invite people to work with uh, a menopause trained person. So the, the NAMS practitioner, North American Menopause Society, if you can find a practitioner who's trained in that, that's a fantastic place to start. There's lots of naturopath, functional medicine doctors who specialize in women's hormone health. And I highly recommend that you do so. And there's a couple books, Estrogen Matters and The Estrogen Fix, that I think are really, really, really important reads for people talking about the benefits of estrogen for our brains, our heart, our um, bones, our skin, and our vaginas. So within our within our pelvis, the bladder especially, and the, the walls of the vagina love estrogen. And when we no longer yes. have it circulating, the tissues start to dry up and the walls of the vagina become narrower. So sex can become quite painful. One, you might not be able to have any penetration if you have if you have a male partner, but also the dryness and irritation can be can be prohibitive as well too. So you want to address that piece. We can moisturize our vaginas as well. So there's estrogen, there's vaginal moisturizers, and there's also lubricants, which can help. Also exercise, so pelvic floor exercise, but also whole body movement encourages blood flow and circulation, which also helps with tissue resiliency and and ability to achieve orgasm. But then, Gail, as you said, yes, if we're also, if we're having sex, sex in and of itself can be beneficial for the pelvic floor. So something, and it doesn't have to be sex with a partner. It can be self, uh, sex with ourselves, right? And if we're achieving orgasm, that's like a super monster Kegel exercise, the contract and relax of the, of the muscles. And so, but we want to have muscles that can help us get there. Because if we have, again, muscles that are holding on to too much tension, maybe we can't allow something to come in if we want to, or maybe we can't achieve orgasm because the, there's, we're maybe lacking blood flow circulation, or we just can't get to that pleasure point. But if we have too much laxity, then maybe we don't have the sensation that could enable us to get there either. So we want to build strong, resilient muscles and also participate in sex that helps keep the tissues resilient and strong and supple. So I need to tell my husband that sex every day is very important to my vaginal health. Yep. Christina, <laughs> I'm not even going to ask the follow-up question there. I'm dying. Christina's in her fabulous 40s. So yes. basically what I'm taking away from with some exercise, with some interventions, Women in midlife should be able to have comfortable, pleasurable sexual intercourse. A thousand percent, yes. And And it's not too late. So if they already are experiencing, so we can be proactive. So Christina, you're in your 40s. You can be proactive and know that 80% of women are going to experience vaginal dryness. So as you're approaching Mm -hmm. your menopause, as soon as you start to notice some changes, get on some vaginal moisturizer. Um, and potentially investigate local vaginal estrogen. So be proactive. However, moisturize your face, moisturize your vag. 
fashions <laughs> every night, ladies. That's part I, of the I think we need to tell our beauty brand that we already do. have it. If you already are experiencing yeah. vaginal dryness, say you're beyond you've, you're five years post menopause. It doesn't, it's never too late. It's never too late to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. It's never this. too late to start Ooh, moisturizing. That. It's never too late to start estrogen and and regain the suppleness and integrity of that tissue so that you can get back to sex. Okay. Yeah, at what point in this perimenopause, menopause, incomplete menopause or, or postmenopause, however you want to term that, do we normally see some of the things take place with the dryness is that something you're going to see early in the perimenopause or is this like you, you say can. a few years yep. after cessation of your periods yeah it's it it can it can be different for different people it can depend on diet it can depend on stress it can depend on a lot of other factors <clears throat> excuse me but um even postpartum women so some people experience vaginal dryness after they've given birth and that's a, a oh, really? kind of a peak into the future where you have a decline in estrogen and, and vaginal dryness is very, very common during that time. And so it kind of gives us, again, this glimpse as to what we could experience in the future. So it's there's no set age to say, once you reach this age, vaginal dryness will absolutely occur. Some people have, you know, no, everybody kind of goes through hormonal transition, but some people have extreme symptoms. Some people don't. And again, it can depend on a lot of different factors. Diet is actually a really huge one. Um, there's a lot there of, it is again, to help, yeah, to help manage that diet. with, uh, with food. So, well, now let so me ask really you about that. Okay. A couple things. So the facts are the, the vast majority of women are going to deal with this in some way at some point. Yeah. Um, I think we had another practitioner that said it would be more like in your lifetime, every woman. So somewhere between 80 and a hundred percent. So we need to normalize this. We need to have the conversations yeah. about it, which is what we're doing. And if you didn't catch episode two, go back there for two stories of my friends and their episodes with vaginal dryness. It, it will make you laugh. It'll make you cry. But um, th- my question is like, it does vaginal dryness. You said it varies from woman to woman. Does this depend on if you have overall dry skin are you more likely to have vaginal dryness and the oily girls are more likely to have less? Is there any relationship there? Whatever, Gail. Whatever. That's a good question. Wait. I actually, I don't know of any evidence to support that, but that's a good question. I'm, I'm going to look into that and see. So um, potentially, because our, our skin will dry as we are approaching menopause as well for the same reasons. So I would think there would be a link there, the, the likelihood of it. But I don't know if if you have had if you have historically been an oily skin person, would it then I'm decrease? I'm dying to your, know. I don't know. I'm dying to question. know. Well, well you know sad. what, Gail and I, Gail and I had after we had had our first conversation with you, Kim. Gail and I were really like shocked when you said that pads actually cause the dryness sometimes in the vag area. And I was like, oh my gosh, did you know that, Gail? She was like, no. I was like, oh, because we so think that that's intriguing. just part of normal midlife hygiene right. is wear right. a little yeah. panty liner. But we didn't know we're, we're drying it up, scraping <laughs> up the landing strip, you know? I mean, geez, yeah, why don't awesome. somebody tell us this crap? Well, yeah. We're, we're told we are fed messages like every... Every ad for a pad company is is sending a message that that's just the way that it is. It's just part of being a woman. Or and it, you need you know, them like, daily. They even call them dailies. Yes. yes. So what's, so what's better? A good hygienic woman yeah. should be wearing a little panty liner daily. Would you say so, that's not great advice? I would say that they can play a temporary role if needed, uh, but they should be a part of treatment to f- to fix the problem. Pads are a Band-Aid and they can contribute to an exacerbation of dryness. And they also cost us a lot of money within our lifetime. If we start leaking in our 30s we and say we're living to 80, 90, 100 years old, we're spending between twenty-five dollars to $50,000 on pads. That's a conservative estimate. And think now, what about the hell? The, Say again, the, with what yeah. did men have to spend money on in that? Yeah. Nothing but their prostate, you know, and that's mm-hmm. covered by insurance. Y'all, geez, with the messages, we've got to educate better. Now, yes. 
I want to go back to talking about, you know, leaks and situations um, because that is something that plagues most of us. And a lot of us accept it as a normal part of midlife. Yeah. But it sounds like you're saying that a lot of that can be quelled with proper exercise and health. Is that what you're saying? Because if you're telling me if I do these exercises, I won't pee on myself when I laugh Mm -hmm. or, you know. Jump on a trampoline. Yeah. Get excited. Um, Yes. And again, it's the same thing with pads. So it 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 is essentially sending us messages that... It's just the way that it is. Once you reach this age or once or because you've given birth or because you're a woman or whatever messages it is that it, well, you just now have to put a pad in. And the people in the ads are getting younger and younger and younger. It used to be associated with an elderly population. Leaking yes. can happen to anybody, high level athletes, uh, people who've never given birth. Like it, it can happen to anybody. And the, the, there's a couple things to distinguish. There's stress urinary incontinence. So Gail, that's sort of, I think what you're describing where you laugh or cough or something Sneezing, happens. Laughing, exercise. Yeah. Like if I slip and fall, like if I was walking across my wood floor here and there's some water on it, I start to slip and yep. I have that moment of, you know, strain to stay upright, pressure, yeah. you know, how you, you lock down. I'm going to be in the floor. I'm going to pee and I'm going to be laughing <laughs> and crying all the same time. I mean, it's just a freaking disaster. And like my husband doesn't even know what to attend to first. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I have, I have to tell my husband, don't make me laugh at night because I sit there and he'll make me laugh and laugh and laugh. And I'm like, stop. And then it happens. And I pee on myself and he's like, where are you going? I said, I got to go change. I just peed on myself. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. So annoying. And it's so treatable. Women, we can't not (laughs) pee and the men can't pee when they get older. Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, but you're saying it is normal for it to happen, but it does not have to be our continuing reality. Is that? I would say that, that the it, way it, that should say it's common. It's not normal to not be able to control your urine. It's not normal. It is very, very common. Um, it doesn't mean that you are an abnormal person, but it just means that the, your your pelvic floor is sending you a signal asking you for some help. So it's like, I can't manage this for whatever reason. I need a little bit of help here, a little bit of attention. Our response, because we're told, is to get pads and mask th- that problem. Uh, yeah. and, pads, and- sprays. Well, I think that's with everything in, in, in health now. It's like, okay, let's just mask it instead of getting to the root of mm-hmm. the problem. And I really love what you're doing, Kim, where you're getting to the root of the problem. Like, let's address the problem, not, you know, mask the symptom. You know, it's right. like, let's get down and dirty with this. Yeah. You so know? It's not, and let's it's be not honest. Get better. It's yeah. Not I'm just talking better. about our bladder. Our, our anal sphincter can have problems too, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be gross, but I think some women have these things happen. You know, it becomes harder to hold their stool and they're horrified. And that's very life-altering. That's very life-altering. You would life-altering. not dare discuss that. You don't even want to talk to the doctor about it. You certainly don't want to Google it. How yeah. common is that, Kim? It's much less common than, so stress urinary incontinence, so urine leaking out with exertion is statistically somewhere in the mid thirties ish. I think it's a little bit higher than that. That's what reported cases are. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. My my high level research of my friend group. (laughs) Yeah. Which we know is not a double blind controlled study, but. (laughs) (laughs) Anal, yeah, so exactly. And, and so I personally think that the, the overall is much higher than that, but not everybody goes and seeks help. Women will wait statistically uh, six and a half to seven years before seeking help for, uh, for a problem with their pelvic floor. And anal incontinence is much less. I believe the statistic is somewhere like four to seven percent ish. I think again, it might be a little bit higher than that, but um, less common, but way more life altering. And and do these exercises for the pelvic floor help with that as well? For those a women? thousand percent, yep, yeah, because wow. the pelvic what the pelvic floor muscles they, it surrounds our openings, right? So in the female body, we have the anal opening, we have the vagina, we have the urethra, and the pelvic floor plays a role in supporting all of those openings to help them open when they need or close when they need and strengthening. And it's not just about, so having a, a really 
say optimal pelvic floor is not just about strengthening. As I mentioned, some people already have more tension than what would be considered optimal. So they need to balance that out by letting tension go. And that doesn't mean that they won't ever do Kegels. So some people are saying, well, I've been told not to do Kegels because my pelvic floor is too tight. My opinion is initially we will focus more on the relaxation, on the letting go of tension, but there is benefit in taking the muscles, reminding it of its full range of motion. So forever, say we're doing a 10, 10 repetitions of a Kegel exercise for every two, like we'll do two relaxation breaths where we don't do any activation. And then we're going to do an activation and then we're going to do another two or three breaths of just relaxation. And then we'll do another activation and then eventually get to the point where we are doing the full motion of a Kegel exercise again. But initially let's focus on what your pelvic floor needs. I think I need a vagina coach. I am (laughs) sitting here thinking we need a vagina coach. I mean, I have a trainer for my body, so might as well get a trainer for that. Individual sessions, not the yes. group there. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not trying to be in the group. No. The other thing. So it does take, so right now people think of pelvic floor exercises, just Kegels. And Mm -hmm. Kegels in and of themselves are, most people do them incorrectly because they've never been taught and they're not the most riveting exercise in the entire world. And if you were to look at research that says do three sets of 10, 10 second holds three times a day, there's not very many people that are going to conform to that prescription. The, The way that I have seen it benefit people more effectively and quicker is when you, yes, learn how to do a Kegel exercise correctly but then bring it into movements. So you're working out with a trainer. Mm -hmm. When you learn how to incorporate your pelvic floor into movements you're already doing, like squats, like bicep curls, like push-ups, like lunges, then you're, you're approaching it from a whole body dynamic way. And you don't have to have a separate Kegel practice. You can go and do it all at once, if that makes sense. And the pelvic floor is the foundation of the core. So that's, and everybody works their core, but when we leave the pelvic floor out of the conversation, we we aren't training the core as effectively as we could. Oh, I love this. Now I have, I have another question for you because I was an avid drug user when I was younger, like loved me some This is Christina speaking, just for the record, Christina (laughs) speaking. I am I'm sober today, but I I used to partake in some some pretty uh horrendous drugs. And I remember trying to go to the bathroom while I was on these drugs. And I for the life of me, I would sit there and I would try to relax and I could not urinate. And it was just it felt like my muscles were just contracting so much that I I just couldn't. I couldn't go to the bathroom. And yeah. so for for our women out there who have, you know, changed their life, they're they're in midlife, they're they've changed their life, you know, is this something that they need to be aware of too cuz I feel like that's partly why why I'm struggling in in some of these, you know, peeing on myself and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, is have you found that when you when you were talking to some of the the clients that you have? Yeah. There's so many reasons that we have in life that can contribute to challenges. It could be, it could be trauma. It could be, um, it could be sexual trauma. It could be physical trauma. It could be a fall. It could be drug use. It could be something like something that has altered our physiology somehow, something that has contributed, contributed to behaviors now. So Behave, our, our bladder can be trained like like any other muscle in our body. So a lot of people will say, well, I, I feel like I have to go to the bathroom all the time. And then when I sit down, I can't go. So mm. they may have urgency. Their bladder might be signaling them more often than, they, than, than it should be. And then when they sit down, their muscles can't relax. So the bladder, when we sit down to pee, the bladder should contract and the pelvic floor should relax. That's ideally what should happen. And if we have that, my pelvic floor, floor relaxes before I make the seat. Sometimes, <laughs> yes. Do you guys have that thing like you get in the bathroom stall in public? You're trying to get your pants down. You've got to go. You got to go. Sometimes I have to stop and like relax everything so that I have time to get my pants down before yes. the release. So it's some yes. kind of like psychosomatic kind of 
A thousand percent it is. It's like Pavlov's dog. It's like, woohoo. It's some um, people yep. call it pee in the door syndrome. So as we're getting closer to home, your bladder's like, oh my God, we're getting close to home and we're going to go. You and it gets what? all excited. And yep. Okay. Yep. I have trained, not my bladder, but the other side, the intestines, not to poo in public. And I, I did it over the years. And so now I can go on a long road trip. I can actually, I can go on a two hour trip or a 10 hour trip. But when I get within three miles of my home, those intestines start cranking. Is is that a real thing or am I imagining this? No, it's totally, it's, it's, and it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's ideal to train your, you, you should not ignore the signal to poop. I, that- I know, but I have a jail <laughs> toilet. My husband loves a public toilet. Oh, he like... I tell him, you're just trying to try out all the seats because if he feels the least inkling to go, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter if our next stop is home. He'll just go ahead. He's in there. Sometimes I've sent my son in there and he'll come back and say, he's on the phone. And <laughs> he's sitting there just in a public toilet on his phone. Like if I go in a public toilet, it's because I'm um, just to be gross. It was an emergency. <laughs> yeah. I'm not in there scrolling my phone, waiting to see if I need to poo. It's Actively happening is the only way I'm pooing in public. Um, so just that makes me feel so much better that I'm not just making that up. I mean, because no, it's, it's really it's, your, it's it's absolutely it's a there's a it, our brains are are a big part of all of this and but that means then that a lot of a lot of the you know the urgency that we might feel where you feel like you can't get your pants down in time you can't make it to the bathroom in time that is very trainable. We can we can train the bladder to not be so urgent and so that we are in control, not our bladder. Because right now in that situation, your bladder's in control. So oh, is, it, is it okay to hold, like I was always told, and, and tell me if this is wrong, maybe this is a myth or maybe it's it's not, but I'm sure that a lot of people were told this when you were younger, don't hold your pee. Like you need to go to the bathroom. It's, if you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom like now. It's so bad to hold your pee. Is that truth or is that a myth? Well, there are certain times where we have to hold our pee. So it's not to say that you you should never, ever hold your pee, but it shouldn't become a habit. So if you think about certain professions, my mom was an OR nurse. She couldn't just stop partway through the surgery and say, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. So a lot of her and her colleagues, they had, they would have timed eating and timed drinking and timed voiding and, and a lot of time then. So commonly with, with teachers as well, they can't leave their classroom all the time. So they may restrict fluids, which is not ideal. Um, Or if they're drinking, they may delay the, like they'll ignore the urges. And over time, the the stretch receptors in the bladder can become a little bit inhibited, inhibited. So the signaling wow. may dampen. Um, but again, if, if you do it every once in a while, not a big deal, but if it's a habitual thing where you are always daily delaying the urge, whether it's pee or poo, that's not ideal. Okay. Mm. Let me ask you about interstitial cystitis. Is pelvic floor firmness, pelvic floor health, any benefit in with that condition? It can play a role. It will not cure. It can play a role, though, in managing some of the overactivity that can happen as a result of the pain syndrome. So whenever any type of pain, there's an upregulation of our nervous system that can contribute to the muscles then tensing or overreacting and getting stuck in that pattern. So pelvic floor physical therapy can help with that aspect of it. And then there's other, there's other strategies that we can use to help manage the actual condition itself. Um, but pelvic floor would have, would be more responsible for the muscle reaction, if that makes sense. Okay. I've got one more question before we go to our rapid fire segment, which I don't know if we warned you about that. It's more fun if we didn't tell you, (laughs) but, um, when someone shows up for pelvic floor therapy, what should they expect, you know? Is this getting undressed and doing exercises? Is this in a private room? Because I was offered, and then when I ask a friend what that, she's like, "Oh, they're going to put these electrodes and they're going." I'm like, 
No, not that bad yet. That need electrodes on the hoo-ha. So I think sometimes we decline treatment. I probably should have mm-hmm. went for that treatment, but I was misled about what it might entail. And I had no idea what it would entail. So mm-hmm. just quick rundown of what a woman walking in the door might expect. Such a good question. So pelvic floor physical therapists are regular physical therapists with additional training in the pelvic floor, and they are licensed to evaluate and treat beyond the entrance to the vagina. So they, a portion of the treatment or the, the assessment may be internal. They will do typically closed, uh, look at whole body. They might look at posture. They might look at how you breathe. They might look at how you move. They'll do a few different movement tests. Um, every not, there's not a standard exact procedure that every single person will, will follow, but that's generally, there'll be a health history. Look at your body, how you're breathing, how you're moving. What are your major complaints? What are, what, what are your goals and what are some of the symptoms that you're struggling with? And then they'll seek to find out what could be contributing to that. And it may involve an internal evaluation with which would be gloved fingers. So you would be in a hospital gown. There will be a treatment table. It is in a private locked room and uh, it would be you and the therapist. The first assessment typically is with you lying down on the treatment table. Usually your knees would be bent. The therapist would be sitting or standing at the side of the bed. They aren't necessarily looking, but they do look sometimes, but then they will have one or two gloved fingers in inserted. So they will look at the external genitalia to see if there's any scar tissue, any skin conditions that need to be addressed. They will then insert one or two fingers with your permission. And the whole time it is, it is nothing happens without your consent. And then they will assess for tone in the muscles. So they want to feel on both sides of the muscles in the vagina or in the pelvic floor, are they the same? Does one side feel more lax? Does one side feel very rigid or is there a nice balance? They'll feel and assess for the position of the organs. They may ask you to cough or bear down to see if there's any descent of those organs. They will assess your capacity to do a Kegel. So can you kind of hug their fingers, gently draw them up, and then let that go? And a really good therapist, and this doesn't all happen always on the very first uh, appointment, but it it is becoming now more common to also have your therapist assess you in standing. And the reason for that is, is the presentation of the organs is much different mm-hmm. lying down than upright. And Absolutely. your capacity of the muscles to work. Haven't you ever stood up and then you have to pee? Really have yeah. to pee? I mean, all that pressure? Yep. Totally. Oh my gosh, that yeah. is such great information, Kim. And by the way, Christina, I didn't know that one side of my vagina could be more lax than the other. That's another thing. Didn't oh. know about menopause. Yeah. That's just great. Okay. You ready for a few rapid fire questions that okay. you just give a simple... Yep word or two, maybe a sentence answer. Yes. Okay. You go first, Christina. Okay. Is Botox good for the vagina or no, in your opinion? For people that need it, yes. Uh, Sorry, it just cut out there for a second, but yes, Botox is helpful for people that may have overactive bladder, who may have overactivity in their muscles, but it's not, it's not for everybody. No. Gotcha. Does your husband just really love that you know all this about vaginas. <laughs> he does, but I, sometimes I think my husband knows more than I do. So he is a very educated <laughs> well, guy. <laughs> that can be kids. a benefit too. Let's and just, my kids. Christine, I, I, where do we send our husbands for that class? <laughs> is your husband doing tutorials? Because that'd be awesome. That would be Christina's not even going to be able to ask her next question. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> slapping so hard. I'm, I'm dying. Okay. My husband would probably say I'm already a professional. So, you know, anyway. Okay. So, um, best sex position for women who suffer with prolapse. Ooh, good question. Um, it, it'll depend on the type of prolapse. So somebody that has an anterior, so a, a bladder or a uterine prolapse may feel better in being on top or in an, an all fours, kind of a forward lean position. People with a rectocele where the rectum is bulging in the posterior wall, they may feel better in uh, lying down. So being more of like missionary position. That's not to say that you can't do it in, in either any position. You absolutely can. But just from a sensation or getting the bulge out of the way, those positions may be more favorable. Nice. Okay. Are toys good for pelvic health? Yeah, or nay. If you want them, they can be very beneficial. Oh, wow. Nice. I did not know that. 
Nice. Okay. My last question is when you go to a party and you say you're the vagina coach, what kind of reaction do you get? I usually it's like, sorry, you're a what? (laughs) So it's always the, did I hear that correctly? And then it's like, okay, all right. Wow. Okay. So what exactly do you do? Those are the the most common reactions. Nice. That. (laughs) I cannot (laughs) imagine. Okay. Last question. Favorite lubricant? Favorite one. I really like, it's not actually, it's not actually technically designed as a lubricant, but my favorite is called V Magic. Um, it's a, it's a vaginal moisturizer. They can't say that it's a lubricant, but I use it as that. The other one that is a lubricant that I really like is called Good Clean Love. Good Clean Love. Have not heard of that one. I've heard of the Astroglide, but I've not heard of Good Clean Love. So yeah. gosh, Kim, I can't believe our hour is up. Mm-hmm. just can't that believe it because... Like, I just want to hang out with you over lunch and just talk about vaginas all day because (laughs) we don't get to do this and face it. We were told you're going to bleed, wear a pad or a tampon, you're going to have some babies, you're going to go through the change. That's the Mm -hmm. education most of us got. And to, to think that we as women walk around in what, according to you, would be considered an unhealthy state, an abnormal state of health, and that that can be prevented or corrected is it's shocking, first of all, that we're not told this more often. And it's also encouraging, and we want that word to get out, that these things can be improved. Some of them can be completely corrected, or at least enough that you're not having the symptoms of them. And we can live long, healthy lives with our pelvic floor. We don't have to be peeing on ourselves. We can have good, healthy sex. And we don't have to be in pain. We don't have to live through the embarrassment Kim, your message is just such an encouragement to women. So thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you for, you know, coming out as a vaginal coach. I mean, that had to be like (laughs) a real coming out. Your mom must have been so proud to announce (laughs) at the Bridge Club, you know. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. How could people contact you, Kim, if they're interested in your services or, you know, information that you might could provide them? Yeah, thank you very much. I, I I really am appreciative of the of the time and the opportunity to share. And I hope that people know that they don't need to suffer. Um, and if you do one thing, go see yeah. a pelvic floor physical therapist. Uh, I also have programs that are for people that may not have access to a physio, physical therapist or a physiotherapist, and that's at vaginacoach.com. And all of my social handles are basically Vagina Coach. So you can find me on YouTube or Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook. And I also have a private you, Facebook group. Called you do like Buff a monthly Buff. course, right? I do a monthly challenge called the Buff Muff Challenge. And that is an app-based program that is a whole body approach. So similar to what we were talking about, where you bring your Kegel exercises into whole body movement. And it's transforming people's lives. By week two, there's people who are ditching their pads and who are you know, enjoying sex again, who have no more back pain, back pain, we didn't talk about that's hugely correlated to the pelvic floor. Um, so yeah, it's my intention that people know what to do. And they are given the tools to be able to take the matters into their own hand. And, and not do you suffer. mind to say what the cost for that is? 27 bucks. I mean, Gail, oh, you and I are doing that. Less than I'm a already cost. signed up. I wasn't going to announce that to the universe. But ah! Now everyone knows. Be watching out for my buff buff coming down the street. $27, guys, for a month long working with an expert. I mean, geez, Kim, yeah. what I, that's the yeah. less than the cost of your copay, probably a lot of doctors. So thank you so much, yes. Kim Bopney, the vagina coach, and look for her over them Instagram. And she has little, little, um, I don't know what you call little tools that she shows on Instagram. And the first time I saw it, I'm like, what is that? It was her little <laughs> pretend vagina. Um, so gosh, you're just, you're just awesome. So Christina, a word from those affiliates. All right. Well, we have the amazing boobalicious products and you guys, if you suffer from boob sweat or downstairs sweat, Get some Boobalicious because they are giving you a great little love off of their products. So it is love, L-U-V, Boobalicious.com. And you'll want to type- products. Oh, Boobalicious products. Sorry. L-U-V, Boobalicious products.com. And you'll want to- 
use the promo code MOXIE, M-O-X-I-E. That's right, ladies. Get your boobalicious products today. So we're getting our pelvic floor fixed. We're getting our boobs smelling better. And then we're going to get some great, comfortable shoes in a range of sizes, including a variety of widths. When you visit walkingcradles.com backslash MOXIE, you can not only see these amazing shoes, all the styles, but you'll get a 20% discount because they have partnered with the Moxie Girls. Last but not least, big news over on midlifemoxie.net. Um, we're going to be opening our store, t-shirts, exercise Woo! tanks. Oh, I cannot wait for you to show your Moxie out in public. Until then, if you want to get your t-shirt, just go to our Instagram, either Gail S. Scott or One Sassy Massey, and you can order directly through us on Instagram in our DMs. And don't forget to leave your five-star review. And if it's not a five-star, to contact us directly. And let's talk about how we could do better because we're here for you. We appreciate you listening. And until next time, what do we say, Christina? Go get your moxie on. Thanks, guys.